fellow non-existent beings, and welcome to Idle Prattle. I'm your disembodied voice, Eden. Join me in observing the grand ineffable wonder of ordinary things as I sail you down my stream of consciousness. Let's swim in the nonsense, drift and float on an ethereal boat of refulgence. If a podcast gets uploaded and no one listens to it, does it make a sound? This podcast is dedicated to you who are drawn to listen to it. On today's episode, I bring you an essay. I guess that's like my platform right now. It's just reading other people's works on my podcast. <laughs> um, but it's a uh, it's an essay that I rediscovered in my browser's bookmarks, which I had not visited for a long time, and I'm working on a very heavy, very long, it's, it's going to be a long episode. I'm working on this other episode right now, and I needed a little break from it, and, um, and also felt like, oh, it's Saturday, I need to I need to put out an episode. I need, I need, quote unquote. But I, I, I was rummaging for, for something to put out, something that would be quick and easy. And I found this essay and, um, and in true Eden fashion, uh, it, 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 it's not that easy. (laughs) I don't think trying to think of how to introduce this because it's uh it's controversial and the source it's not like this was on somebody's blog (laughs) the source of this essay is just as controversial I had fun reading it it but (sighs) I know that not everyone that that a lot of people how, what am I trying to say? I know that even though I don't take a lot of things seriously, that a lot of people do, um, that this could be very triggering, that this um, it is polemic, and and there, I I guess I just didn't realize what I was doing until, until I was like, okay, I need to do my intro. I need to do my outro and I'm going to post this thing. And I'm trying to do that, trying to introduce this thing. And there's like this feeling in the pit of my stomach. That's like, Oh no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't put that out there because it could offend it offend who who's listening but you know it could it could be offensive it could um start i don't know i i don't know just you know that worry that anxiety that that that's something that i put out there will not be well received and it's not even my work i promise you it is not something i wrote personally and yet because it resonates with me on some level i'm i don't know apprehensive about it so I guess my intro is really just a huge disclaimer that this is this is essentially um an antinatalist essay 
um, and antinatalism is just like the general belief that people shouldn't be procreating, that bringing more consciousness onto this planet is not a good thing, and um, and I understand that that's that's an unpopular opinion. Um, it's also kind of like a, an environmentalist activist type of essay. I read it very lightheartedly because that's that's how I took it. It 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 um it's almost like it has to be super extreme sounding in order to get people to think about this stuff. But I don't think I and I get I can't speak for the author. Um, but I don't think I hope that whoever wrote this doesn't doesn't. What am I even trying to say? See, this. How many times am I going to record this intro and just in and just be confident about it? <laughs> I I guess what I'm trying to say is that I understand this is a controversial topic subject. It 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 it's not the nicest essay, but I also I also just I mean in some ways I just don't take it that seriously. Um. Because I try, I try not to take life too seriously because that causes cancer, and or you know like maybe not literally causes cancer, but it you know suffering is is something you you kind of do to yourself, and I know that's another unpopular opinion. Ooh, this is going downhill super fast. I'm gonna. This, this is the last take. I'm not re-recording this any further, so what I say here is, is the final word. <laughs> I am scared. Scared why? Nobody's listening. That's okay. Um, but <laughs> the, uh, the, the source, the Church of Euthanasia, uh, is also a very controversial thing, and so I know if anybody does hear this and they try and go and find this essay, they're going to come up against this website and they're going to be like, who is this person that I've been listening to and why is she trying to, I, I whatever thoughts might come. I, I promise that that's not what I'm doing. I really, I just, I found it. I liked it and I wanted to read it. And now, you know, because I process things so slowly and I really just came up with this idea today. Uh, now I'm like backtracking and I'm like, oh, hold on. Maybe I didn't think this all the way through and da 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 da. And, um, I don't know. Maybe that's perfectionism talking. Maybe that maybe people do understand the nuance and, and can take a joke and can see how absurd that this sounds and, and won't be too offended. Um, but just, I guess trigger warning, disclaimer, whatever. Um, this this essay is going to go hard against breeders, especially um, people who, women, people who have had in vitro, and uh, and any anything to do with like donors and adoption and like all things surrounding babies. Uh, so if you have a baby, and very sensitive about the topic of having children, I would not listen to this episode. <laughs> That's, I, you know, 
or do listen and maybe think a little bit about not having more babies. I don't know, but <laughs> hopefully this is taking this is taken in the spirit that I was hoping. I, again, I can't speak for the author and I can't speak for the Church of Euthanasia. I have no idea if these people are just being like in your face because that's how activists are or if they like seriously truly feel this way. I mean, I went to their Wikipedia page and it, it says that the church stresses population reduction by voluntary means only and rejects murder and eugenics as like a means of achieving population reduction. I, I really think that they are um, just environmental activists and uh, that's all I'm gonna say on that but if you do look this up you're gonna find a lot of like what the fool and I'm very sorry for that I I didn't think this through but in any event I do think it's a humorous and well-written essay that has some that has a point of view and uh, maybe what I'll do is I'll try to find another essay that, you know, isn't so one-sided. Or maybe I'll try to find an essay for the other side. Um, but yeah, I really needed a break from my Bible study episode that I'm doing. <laughs> and this, I don't, just, just spoke to me. So, forward and onward. The Case Against Babies by Joy Williams Babies, babies, babies. There's a plague of babies. Too many rabbits or elephants or mustangs or swans brings out the myxomatosis, the culling guns, the sterility drugs, the scientific brigade of egg smashers. Other species can strain their environments or overrun their range or clash with their human neighbors. But human babies are always welcome at life's banquet. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Live long and consume. You can't draw the line when it comes to babies because where are you going to draw the line? Consider having none or one or be sure to stop after two, the organization Zero Population Growth suggests politely can barely hear them what with all the babies squalling. Hundreds of them popping out every minute. 97 million of them each year. While legions of other biological life forms go extinct. Or in the creepy phrase of ecologists, wink out. Human life bustles self-importantly on. Those babies just keep coming. They've gone way beyond being God's gift. They've become entitlements. Everyone's having babies. Even women who can't have babies. Particularly women who can't have babies. They're the ones who sweep fashionably along the corridors of consumerism with their double-wide strollers stuffed with twins and triplets. Women push those things with the effrontery of someone piloting a bulldozer, which strollers uncannily bring to mind. When you see twins or triplets, do you think, aww, or ooh, or that's sort of cool, that's unusual? Or do you think, that woman dropped a wad on in vitro fertilization, 25, 30,000 at least? 
The human race hardly needs to be more fertile, but fertility clinics are booming. The new millionaires are hot-shot fertility doctors who serve anxious, gotta-have-a-baby women, techno-shamans who have become the most important aspect of the baby process, giving women what they want. Babies! It used to be a mystery what women wanted, but no more. Nietzsche was right. Ironically, though it is far from being the only irony in this baby craze, women think of themselves as being successful, personally fulfilled, when they have a baby. Even if it takes a battery of men and white smocks and lots of hormones and drugs and needles and dishes and mixing and inserting and implanting to make it so. Having a baby means individual completion for a woman. What do boys have to do to be men? Sleep with a woman. Kill something. Yes, kill something. Some luckless deer, duck, bear, pretty much anything largish in the animal kingdom, or even another man. Appropriate in times of war, has ushered many a lad into manhood. But what's a woman to do? She gets to want to have a baby. While much effort has been expanded in third world countries, educating women into a range of options which does not limit their role merely to bearing children, well-off, educated, and indulged American women are clamoring for babies, babies, babies to complete their status. They've had it all, and now they want a baby. And women over 35 want them now. They're the ones who opt for the aggressive fertility route. They're impatient. They're sick of being laissez-faire about this. Sex seems such a laborious way to go about it. At this point, they don't want to endure all the intercourse over and over and maybe get no baby. What a waste of time and time's a wasting. A life with no child would be a life perfecting hedonism, a 40-something infertile woman said. Now, the proud owner of pricey twins. Even women who have the grace to submit to fate can sound wistful. It's not so much that I wish I had children now, a travel writer said, but that I wish I had had them. I hate to fail at anything. Women are supposed to wish and want and not fail. Lesbians want to have babies too. And when lesbians have babies, watch out. They lay names on them like wolf. The 80s were a decade when it was kind of unusual to have a baby. Oh, the lower classes still had them with more or less gusto, but professionals did not. Having a baby was indeed so quaintly rebellious and remarkable that a publishing niche was developed for men writing about babies. Their baby. Their baby's first year in which every single day was recorded. He slept through the night. He didn't sleep through the night. The writers would marvel over the size of their infant scrotum, give advice on how to tip the obstetrician, not a case of booze, a clock from Tiffany's is nicer, and bemusedly admit that their baby exhibited intelligent behavior, like rolling over, laughing, and showing fascination with the TV screen far earlier than normal children. Aside from the talk about the poopy and the rashes and the cat's psychological decline, these books frequently contained a passage, an overheard bit of mommy-to-baby monologue along these lines. I love you so much, I don't ever want you to have teeth or stand up or walk or go on dates or get married. I want you to stay right here with me 
and be my baby. Babies are one thing. Human beings are another. We have way too many human beings. Almost everyone knows this. Adoption was an 80s thing. People flying to Chile, all over the globe, God knows where, returning triumphantly with their baby. It was difficult, adventurous, expensive, and generous. It was trendy then. People were into adopting bunches of babies in all different flavors and colors. Korean, Chinese, part Indian. Oh, part Indian was very popular. Guatemalan. Guatemalan babies are way cute. Adoption was a fad, just like the Cabbage Patch dolls, which fed the fad to tens of thousands of prepubescent girl consumers. Now, it is absolutely necessary to digress for a moment and provide an account of this marketing phenomenon. These fatuous-faced, soft-sculptured dolls were immensely popular in the 80s. The gimmick was that these dolls were born. You couldn't just buy the damn things. If you wanted one, you had to adopt it. Today, they are still being born and adopted, although at a slower rate, in Babyland General Hospital, a former medical clinic, right on the fast food and car dealership strip in the otherwise unexceptional North Georgia town of Cleveland. There are several rooms at Babyland General. One of them is devoted to the preemies, all snug in their little gowns, each in its own spiffy incubator. And another is devoted to the cabbage patch itself. A suggestive mound with a fake tree on it from which several times a day comes the announcement, cabbage and labor. A few demented moments later, a woman in full nurse regalia appears from a door in the tree holding a brand new cabbage patch kid by the feet and giving it a little whack on the bottom. All around her in the fertile patch are happy little soft heads among the cabbages. Each one of those things costs $175. And you have to sign papers promising to care for it and treasure it forever. There are some cheesy dolls in boxes that you wouldn't have to adopt, but children don't want those. They want to sign on the line, want the documentation, the papers. The dolls are all supposed to be different, but they certainly look identical. They've got tiny ears, big eyes, a pinched rictus of a mouth and lumpy little arms and legs. The colors of the cloth vary for racial verisimilitude, but their expressions are the same. They're glad to be here and they expect everything. But these are just dolls, of course. The real adopted babies who rode the wave of fashion into many hipply caring homes are children now, an entirely different kettle of fish. And though they may be providing, just as they were supposed to, great joy, they are not darling babies anymore. A baby is not really a child. A baby is a baby, a cuddle ball, representative of virility, wombrismo, and humankind's unquenchable wish to outfox death. Adoptive parents must feel a little out of it these days, so dreadfully dated in the 90s. Adoption. How foolishly sweet. It's so penitent. So kind of naive. With adopted babies, you just don't know. It's too much of a crapshoot. 
oh they told you the father was an english major at yale and that the mother was a brilliant mathematician and harpsichordist who was just not quite ready to juggle career and child but what are you going to think when the baby turns into a kid who rather than showing any talent whatsoever is trying to drown the dog and set national parks on fire adoptive parents do their best of course at least as far as their liberal genes allow they look into the baby's background they don't want just any old baby even going to the dog and cat pound you'd want to pick and choose right they want a pleasant healthy one someone who will appreciate the benefits of a nice environment and respond to a nurturing and attentive home they steer away i mean one has to be realistic one can't save the world from the crack and smack babies, the physically and mentally handicapped babies, the HIV and fetal alcoholic syndrome babies. Genes matter more and more. And adoption is just too... Where's the connection? Not a single DNA strand to call your own? Adoption signifies you didn't do everything you could. You were too cheap or shy or lacked the imagination to go the energetic fertility route, which, when successful, would come with the assurance that some part of the baby or babies would be a continuation of you. Or at the very least your companion, loved one, partner, whatever. I once prevented a waitress from taking away my martini glass, which had a tiny bit of martini remaining in it, and she snarled, oh, the precious liquid, before slamming it back down on the table. It's true that I probably imagined that there was more martini in the glass than there actually was. What on earth could have happened to it all? But the precious liquid remark brings unpleasantly to mind the reverent regard in which so many people hold themselves. Those eggs, that sperm, oh, precious, precious stuff. There was a terrible fright among humankind recently when some scientists suggested that an abundance of synthetic chemicals was causing lower sperm counts in human males. Awful, awful, awful. But this proves not to be the case. Sperm counts are holding steady and are even on the rise in New York. Los Angeles males don't fare as well. Do they drink more water than beer? Nor do the Chinese, who, to add insult to insult, are further found to have smaller testicles, a finding which will undoubtedly result in even more wildlife mutilation in the quest for aphrodisiacs. Synthetic chemicals do adversely affect the reproductive capabilities of non-human animals, fish, birds, but this is considered relatively unimportant. It's human sperm that's held in high regard, and in this overpopulated age, it's become more valuable. Good sperm, that is, from intelligent, athletic men who don't smoke, drink, do drugs, have AIDS, or a history of homicide. Because this overpopulated age is also the donor age. Donor sperm, donor womb, donor eggs. Think of all the eggs that are lost to menstruation every month. The mind boggles. Those precious, precious eggs lost. Many egg donors say they got into the business because they didn't like the idea of their eggs going to waste. They can be harvested instead and frozen for a rainy day 
or sold nice and fresh. One woman interviewed in the New York Times early this year has made it something of a career. I can accomplish things, she says. No dreary nine-to-five desk job for her. She was a surrogate mother for one couple, dishing up a single baby. Then she donated some eggs to another couple who had a baby. Now she's pregnant with twins for yet another couple. I feel like a good soldier, as if God said to me, Hey girl, I've done a lot for you, and now I want you to do something for me. This entrepreneurial breeder says, It's sort of cute to hear God invoked, sort of for luck or out of a lingering folksy superstition. Egg donors are regular Jenny Appleseeds, spreading joy, doing the Lord's work, and earning a few bucks all at once, as well as attaining an odd sense of empowerment. Got a bunch of kids out there, damned if I know who they all are. One of the most successful calendars of 1996 was Anne Geddes's Babies. Each month shows the darling little things on cabbage leaves, cupped in a tulip, as little bees in a honeycomb, and so on. Solemn, bright-eyed babies. They look a little bewildered, though. And why shouldn't they? How did they get here? They were probably mixed up in a dish. Donor eggs, vacuumed up carefully through long needles. Daddy sperm, maybe, or maybe just some high-powered New York dudes. Gestational carrier, the real mommy waiting anxiously, restlessly on the sidelines. Want to get those babies home, start buying them stuff. Baby's lineage can be a little complicated in this one big world-webby family. With the help of drugs like Clomid and Pergonol, there are an awful lot of eggs out there these days, all being harvested by those rich and clever, clever doctors in a quote-unquote simple procedure and nailed with bullseye accuracy by a spermatozoan. One then gets to choose among the resulting cell clumps. Or the doctor gets to choose. He's the one who knows about these things. And a number of them for optimum success, are inserted into the womb, sometimes the mother's womb, and sometimes not. These fertilized eggs, unsurprisingly, often result in multiple possibilities, which can be decreased by selective reduction. They're not calendar babies yet, they're embryos. And it is at this point, the multiple possibility point, that the mother-to-be often gets a little overly ecstatic, even greedy, thinking ahead perhaps to the day when they're not babies any longer, the day when they'll be able to amuse themselves by themselves, like a litter of kittens or something. If there's a bunch of them all at once, there'll be no need to go through that harrowing process of finding appropriate playmates for them. She starts to think, nannies probably don't charge that much more for three than for two, or heaven knows we've got enough money, or we wouldn't have gotten into all of this in the first place. And many women, at the multiple possibility point, after having gone through pretty much all the meddling and hubris that biomedical technology has come up with, say, demurely, I don't want to play God. I don't want to play God? Or it would be grotesque to snuff one out to improve the odds for the others. Or whatever will be will be. So triplets happen, and even quads and quints. Network television is still interested in quints. And as soon as the multiples, or 
even the less prestigious single baby, are old enough to toddle into daycare, they're responsibly taught the importance of their one and only Earth. Taught the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle. Too many people, which is frequently considered undesirable, give me my space, is caused by too many people. It's only logical. But it's mean to blame the babies. You can't blame the babies. They're innocent. Those poor bean counters at the United Nations Population Fund say that at current growth rates, the world will double its population in 40 years. Overpopulation poses the greatest threat to all life on Earth. But most organizations concerned with this problem don't like to limit their suggestions to the most obvious one. Don't have a baby because it sounds so negative. Instead, they provide additional, more positive tips for easing the pressures on our reeling environment, such as carpooling or tree planting. A portion of the proceeds from that adorable best-selling baby's calendar goes to the Arbor Day Foundation for the planting of trees. Some would have it that not having a baby is disallowing a human life horribly inappropriate in this world of rights. Everyone has rights. The unborn have rights. It follows that the unconceived have rights. Think of all those babies pissed off at the fact that they haven't even been thought of yet. Women have the right to have babies. We fought so hard for this. And women who can't have babies have an even bigger right to have them. These rights should be independent of marital or economic status or age. 50 and 60-something moms tend to name their babies after the gynecologist. The reproduction industry wants fertility treatments to be available to anyone and says that it wouldn't all be so expensive if those recalcitrant insurance companies and government agencies like Medicare and Medicaid weren't so cost-conscious and discriminatory and would just cough up the money. It's not as though you have to take out a permit to have a baby be licensed or anything. What about the rights of a poor, elderly, feminist cancer patient who is handicapped in some way, her car has one of those stickers, who wants to assert her right to independent motherhood and feels entitled to both artificial insemination into a gestational hostess and the right to sex selection as a basis for abortion should the fetus turn out to be male when she wants a female, huh? What about her? Or what about the 15-year-old of the near future who kind of wants to have her baby, even though it means she'll be stuck with a kid all through high school and won't be able to go out with her friends anymore, who discovers through the wonders of amniocentesis and DNA analysis that the baby is going to turn out fat. And the 15-year-old just can't deal with fat and shouldn't have to. Out goes the baby with the bathwater, but these scenarios are involved merely with messy political or ethical issues, the problematical, somewhat gross byproducts of technological and marketing advances. Let the philosophers and professional ethicists drone on, and let the baby business boom. Let the courts figure it out. Each day brings another, more pressing problem. Implanted with their weak cervix daughter's eggs and their son-in-law's sperm, women become pregnant with their own grandchildren. Frozen embryos are inadvertently thawed. Eggs are pirated. Eggs are harvested from aborted fetuses. 
Divorced couples battle over the fate of cryopreserved material. We have to have better regulation of the genetic product, eggs, sperm, and embryos, so we can legally determine who owns what. A professor of law and medicine at a California university says plaintively, Physicians tend to oppose more regulation, however, claiming that it would impede research. While high-tech nations are refining their options eugenically and quibbling litigiously, the inhabitants of low-tech countries are just having babies. The fastest growth in human numbers in all history is going to take place in a single generation, an increase of almost 5 billion people all of whom started out as babies. 97% of the surge is going to take place in developing countries, with Africa alone accounting for 35% of it. The poorer the country, the higher the birth rate. That's just the way it is. These babies are begotten in more traditional, doubtless less desperate ways, and although they are not considered as fashion statements, they're probably loved just as much as upper-class Western babies, or that singular one-per-family Chinese boy baby, and are even considered productive assets when they get a little older and can labor for the common good of their large families by exploiting more and more scarcer and scarcer resources. The argument that Western countries, with their wealth and relatively low birth rate, do not fuel the population crisis is of course, fallacious. France, as national policy, urges its citizens to procreate, giving lots of subsidies and perks to those French who make more French. The U.S. population is growing faster than that of 18 other industrialized nations, and in terms of energy consumption, when an American couple stops spawning at two babies, it's the same as an average East Indian couple, stopping at 66 or an Ethiopian couple, drawing the line at 1,000. Yet, we burble along, procreating, and in the process, suffocating thousands of other species with our selfishness. We're in a baby glut, yet it's as if we just discovered babies, or invented them. Reproduction is sexy. Assisted reproduction is cool. The announcement that a movie star is going to have a baby is met with breathless wonder. A baby! Old men on their third marriage regard their new babies with awe and crow about the ultimate experience of parenting. Bruce Springsteen found salvation with the birth of his son. When in doubt, have a baby. When you've tried it all, champagne, cocaine, try a baby. Pop icons who trudge through a decade of adulation and high living confess upon motherhood, this baby saved my life. Bill Gates, zillionaire founder of Microsoft, is going to have, this is so wonderful, a baby. News commentators are already speculating. Will fatherhood take away his edge, his drive? Will it diminish his will to succeed, to succeed, to succeed? National Public Radio recently interviewed other high-powered CEO dads as to that ghastly possibility. It's as though, altogether, in the waning years of this dying century, we collectively open the door of our home, and instead of seeing a friend standing there in some sweet spring twilight, Someone we had invited over for drinks and dinner and a lovely civilized chat. There was death. 
with those creepy little black seeds of his for planting in the garden. And along with death, we got a glimpse of ecological collapse and the coming anarchy of an overpeopled planet. And we all, in denial of this unwelcome vision, decided to slam the door and retreat to our toys and make babies. Those heirs, those hopes, those products of our species' selfishness, sentimentality, and global death wish. And there you have it, folks. The case against babies. Again, I just want to say I, 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 I do post this in ambivalence because on the one hand, I can't even imagine, begin to imagine the stress and hurt of someone who really wants to have a baby and can't. And I don't envy that person's experience. Um, but also, you know, when you have the world that we have today, I, I don't pity the person who puts themselves through the expensive, intensive process of in vitro. Um, I, I really try not to feel sorry for anyone, myself included. Um, but I think this episode was not meant for that person who's struggling to conceive or have children. Um, and I'm also not uploading this to make fun of breeders or people who want children. Um, I think I'm posting this for the counterculture who maybe feel misunderstood for not having the same values or desires that the baby boomers had. Uh, personally, I am child free and I don't want children of my own. I'm very happy to care for my animals and the wild animals around my home. And I also believe that it takes a village and I'm at the ready to lend a helping hand to anyone if and when I have the means. I don't hate kids. I don't hate people who have them. I just don't want any of my own. <laughs> and sometimes my biology raises the question or the doubt of whether I truly don't want kids. So I'm glad that there are braver people than myself in the world who spread a message that calms my nerves. And it really just serves as a reminder for me that I don't have to do or be what feels like everyone else is doing or being. <laughs> so, again, I'm sorry if this episode offends anyone who comes into earshot of it. Um, but if you're offended, then I hope you come to realize that maybe this just wasn't meant for you at this time. Maybe your beliefs are challenged and you're not ready to explore that. That's okay. Um, and maybe it'll help to reaffirm your beliefs, and that's okay too. So I'm putting it out there anyway, um, knowing that it's polarizing, knowing that it's an unpopular opinion, and hoping that the people who need to hear it do. And as always... Thanks for listening.